The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. for joining us for episode number 30 of the Boys of Tech for Monday the 17th of August 2009. I'm Edwin Herman, my co-host is Brett King, welcome. Good evening. Brett, it's going to be a good show this week, we've got some awesome juicy stories uh, internationally and also uh, locally here in New Zealand, haven't we? We do indeed. We've got some movers and shakers, in fact we'll kick off, I think we should kick off with Microsoft stuff, Uh, it's XML patents or document format patents. Mm. So what what are they doing? Well, they've what's interesting to start with is that they've actually been or they've had a they filed a patent some some time ago to do with their document formats that that are based on XML, which I, I think are the same formats that they were trying to get into the standards body, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, the the Open Office XML formats. Yeah, so they were wanting people to create other programs to be interoperable with. Um, you know, XML-based documents created through Microsoft's Office. So, and then they go and patent it. Interesting. So they've they've actually been granted a patent, haven't they? I understand. And, they have been granted a patent. And people uh, were worried that this means now that if you're going to be storing documents in XML format, you're you're going to run afoul of their of Microsoft's patent. Yeah, people are concerned about that. Does seem a little bit at odds with their um wanting you know, open office XML format, wanting it to become a standard, wanting other people to use it, and then they patent it, it does give that, you know, that odd impression. Yeah, it's kind of a sort of a two-faced thing, isn't it? It is, it is. It's, we really, really want you to use this thing we've developed. And then a little while later, oh, we've patented it. And yeah. it's great that you've all embraced this <laughs> thing that we wanted you to use. Now you owe us money for it. Well, it'll be interesting to see because I, I would have thought for a, a standard is open, is it not? I don't know. Indeed, you can't patent a standard. Why would you patent a standard unless you wanted to charge people for it? In which case, it wouldn't be a standard. Yeah, a standard that is really something weird. that's open and is not covered by patent because everybody gets to use it and you want everybody to use it. It is an odd move. It is an odd move. You know, you know what's almost needed, I think, is that you, you need a, a separate body to come up with a whole new, and it doesn't have to be from ground up, it could be using existing components, but a whole new document format standard, mm-hmm. kind of like HTML for web, but this is for documents, because we've got a lot of interested parties in this. We've got, we've got Microsoft, you've got uh, OpenOffice.org, and you've got other, yeah. other products out there as well. Yeah, there, are, there are hundreds thousands yeah. probably different applications that create a document and need to save that in some sort of format. Mm. If you had a standard document format for the saving of electronic documents, text-based electronic documents, that could be used in whatever you were creating, then I think that's a way to go. It means you don't have to, you'll always be able to open it. So maybe this is an opportunity for a consortium to be formed and and actually have something that's open and that Microsoft as well agree to. I mean, let's face it, they are probably one of the bigger players. So you they know, are a it, big player in the um, word processing industry. Yes. So if we can get them on board on this consortium and agree, and others agree as well, and we all come up with this, it, it's a it's a nice ideology. It worked for HTML. Let's face it. Maybe we could surely we can do the same for documents for. You know, for for uh, word, I don't want to call them word documents, for word processor documents. <laughs> yes, <laughs> everything's word these days. Microsoft has taken over. Of docu- textual documents. <laughs> yeah, well, it's more than just text, though, as well, isn't it? It's well, yeah, mm. text-based, I guess, but yeah. you know, images and all that as well. Mm. Uh, although it, the the other twist of this, of course, is that Microsoft uh, knew that there was a a, a company called I4I that they also had a patent in as well. 
which I'm not entirely sure exactly what their painted is, but it's something along the same lines of something using, to do with XML again. Yeah, using XML for for docu for a document, and they they knew about it all along. And I think they were their Microsoft's plan were to basically override that and make their system the one that that gets accepted. And but uh, I understand there's been the the interesting thing is that I for I have put in a claim against Microsoft over their, uh, their patent. And what's actually happened now is that Microsoft have, I think, 60 days, haven't they, to come up with, with uh, well, either an appeal or uh, a correction to their software, um, Microsoft Indeed, Office, it, so that it doesn't it, uh, affect the patent. They have to modify Office. They've got 60 days to do it in. Otherwise, they have yeah. to stop selling it. It's, yeah, it's bizarre. I4I actually won <laughs> a, a they sued Microsoft for patent infringement to do with something about the XML editor in Word 2003 and Word 2007, violating their patent. And the judge in the district court of the Eastern Texas ruled in favor of I for I. And so, yeah, some for a huge amount of money in damages, as you would expect from people <laughs> wanting patents, like, uh, yeah. patent money. These things are uh, always huge. It's in the hundreds of millions of dollars, as always. And yeah, and they've, Microsoft has like 60 days for it to either counter this, make lodge an appeal, or the change mood. their software. Yeah. <laughs> so all, all, I think all they need to do is, I mean, analysts say that they could get away with this by issuing a patch so that Word effectively strips out custom XML. <laughs> it's not a good look. It's not a good thing to do. The, the beauty of XML is the fact that you can create your own custom tags, custom behavior within it. Yeah, but I said, well, yeah, but would you want to do that for for a Word document? For a generic Word document, but Word isn't just used for creating generic Word documents. It's XML editing functionality is is a boon to a lot of people. Yeah, but I would I would have thought this would only cover documents, but maybe not. I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to tell. But well, I, depending on what the uh, well, as Yuri said, we haven't had a chance to read the exact wording of what the I for I's patent covers. But if they're going after Microsoft because of what Word two thousand and three Word two thousand and seven's XML editor can do, then it would seem to me very likely that any other XML editor out there or program that uses, you know, allows you to do the same thing would also be wide open to being sued by I4I for patent infringement. So the ability to create these XML documents with your custom XML is is under threat here. Well, this is why I suspect it's more to do with something like Word itself and, and using the XML format underneath, not so much the user interacting with the XML as an XML file. That's what I suspect, but it, it's kind of hard to tell. It but is w- hard to tell. What, what we do know is that Microsoft do have some, some work to do either way, either in forming an appeal because they don't want to lose this, this, this battle or mm-hmm. you know agreeing to, to change the functionality of their software. And I guess that's where we'll see exactly how I4I's patent has been affected. Well, a spokesman for Microsoft has stated that they will appeal the verdict. That's no surprise. (laughs) Uh, No surprise indeed. And they reckon that their software does not infringe and that the patents that I4I has should be invalidated. Because why? It's too too open? Too generic? uh, They don't state reasons why. They reckon it should be invalidated. But some commentary that I've seen this week on this story from people who have read the patent say that the patent is incredibly broad and should never have been granted in the first place. Well, that that throws an interesting spanner in the works. So, yeah, Mm. it it does indeed. Well, (laughs) Microsoft and its its legal battles, eh? Microsoft and its legal battles, Microsoft and XML. (laughs) It's it's kind of... Having some weird problems. It it is. Doing some weird things. Maybe Microsoft and XML just weren't meant to be. Well, I... Not sure. Not sure about that. XML and Microsoft have worked quite well together in the the Office format. Word 2007 does some really good stuff. Anything that's nice and open, I say, like HTML. That's kind of what I... In fact, Microsoft has promised, you know, has come out saying that this patent, the stuff that our patent on XML document formats covers, 
is all part of our is all part of things that we have in our open specification promise, which you know asserts that we will not claim against the the use of this, and people can use the product of our patent, and we won't come up against them. But it does, yeah. It still makes you wonder. Yeah, would you would you trust Microsoft on that, or any company for that matter? Well, they've made the promise. The promise is out there. To go back on it would be incredibly bad form. They would lose so much face. But there might be a good commercial reason why they might want to do that, and and it might outweigh the the negativity that they might come out of it. I don't know. Perhaps, but it's a that would be, yeah, that would be dancing on eggshells there. Uh, they'd have to come at it really carefully. The whole thing seems a little bit of a mess, really, to be quite honest. Something needs to be cleaned up here. Uh, the whole patent system needs to be overhauled. Far too many patents are coming out for things which you wonder why they should be patented in the first place. Podcasting. And, or, or more importantly, <laughs> yeah, whether or not you can patent it. <laughs> whether or not it, you can patent it, whether or not it should be patented, and more importantly... Patents that are so open and so broad that they cover almost anything. How about a patent to make a phone call by applying pressure to a surface? In other words, push button phones. Mm. As opposed to I'm Roku sure there's Dial. already a patent for that one. <laughs> I'm sure that one's already got a patent out. You got to wonder. And though. oh, the other, the my other patent peeve is patents that are created being incredibly open-ended, massively broad, not well-defined, and then just sitting there in the patent process. And then as technology evolves, the person who lodged this patent going in and starting to refine their patent, shifting their patent's wording to tailor it around this new technology or whatever that's come out until finally when the patent gets through the patent process, <laughs> it's a patent for something which they did not create and they did definitely didn't create back when they first launched. Yeah, well, this. you, you kind of got to wonder whether they'll they look at the, that sort of thing if there's an issue later on because you, you yeah I agree this is, it's very sneaky very sneaky this stuff does get through that's the bizarre thing they really need to I know they've been doing reviews in the, the US patents office but they really need to crack down maybe the government needs to put more funding into the, the patent office for actually going over patents yeah I think they're just understaffed the that's yeah. what it is they're understaffed understaffed <laughs> overworked <laughs> Having to face budgetary cuts. Yeah, usual problems. Yeah. We'll go with that. So I see Toshiba now has uh, swallowed their pride and gone Blu-ray. Finally. <laughs> finally. I guess they decided, well, HD DVD is definitely a, a format which is not going anywhere soon. And they're losing out by not going with what is winning. Yeah. <laughs> what, well, what did win. Well, you've got to hand it to them. I mean... I know what you're saying. They didn't really have a choice, but still, uh, you know, there are companies that are too proud to do things like this. So you got to hand it to them. They're, they're, they're doing the right thing. They they said they dropped HD DVD some time ago, didn't they? They announced that. We said we're doing yeah. no more on that, and that was mm-hmm. kind of a bit of a shocker. And then, well, some reckon they saw it coming, and now they're saying, okay, we're going to be manufacturing Blu Ray devices. And I mean, you know, it's it's, it's well, it, it takes guts to, to do not that. Do it. It's it makes business sense. It makes business sense with more and more Blu-ray players being incorporated in, you know, commercial products and consumer products. For Toshiba not to include a high-definition player of some variety in their products is going to put them on the back foot. They're going to be knocked out of that market range. Yeah, they, they want a slice of that market, don't they? They want a slice of that market. They want their products to be competitive with all of the other with all their other competitors and if they did not offer a built-in blu-ray player then they're missing out on that market i think they're also joining the blu-ray consortium as well yeah that's that is definitely the biggest step that's the step of okay we accept that our format didn't win but we would like to <laughs> we would like to be involved in the continuing development and oversight of this new format. Yeah, you know what that the means. Format that did win. You know what the, the cynic in me is says that what's going to happen 
is that they're going to propose Blu-ray version 2, which is basically a souped-up version of HD DVD. That's what I reckon. Well, there is that possibility. There is also the possibility of bringing in the the technology, the advances that they used in the creation of HD DVD and applying that to Blu-ray, as you said, with creating a Blu-ray version 2, but not seeing it as a, you know, a sly way of slipping HD DVD in, but more bolstering the Blu-ray format with right, so the, taking the best technology bits, of HD DVD. So taking yeah, the taking best bits the, out of both. Taking the best yeah. bits out of both. Why... Why is it in all of these different format wars that we have one or the other and one might have good points in one way, one has good points in the other and finally one will win and one will lose and so we will end up with a product that has one and it's got its benefits but it's got drawbacks still. Yeah, that's true. Why can't yeah. it be that, yes, one gains favour and so the people in the other one go, well, out. Ours does better in this way, but yours does better in that way. How about we see what together we can do? Yeah, that that makes sense. That would be logical, wouldn't it? Yeah, it is logical, but obviously it doesn't always make business sense. No, that's true. Well, there's hope. <laughs> so you, I see Google's now doing uh, working on a new search engine. That's the other news that's out there, isn't it? Indeed. It has finally lifted the lid on its new in-development search engine. Caffeine. Caffeine, yeah. It's, <laughs> I think this is supposed to be, what, a bing killer? Well, it's, yeah, well, it's supposed to, you know, it's supposed to put the pressure. It's supposed to be more accurate, faster, more comprehensive search results. So I guess this is, I, you know, they've lifted the lid on this. I, I, I do wonder whether they would have said anything yet if bing wasn't out there. I, I do actually suspect that this is, that the fact that they've actually announced this somewhat early is that they they want uh they want people to start getting on the bandwagon and and seeing that they're not just resting on their laurels and actually you know attempting to as you said put pressure on bing yep yep keep the pressure on there do what they've what they've always done i mean um, but they are number one google, let, let's remember google yeah, are number yeah. one by a long way you know? by a long way google owns the search market they basically do. that's for sure but, uh, um, they do, but and they, they could very well have rested on their laurels because while Bing is is brilliant and uh, you know Microsoft's done their big announcement of their cooperation with Yahoo in the search and advertising market, Google still works and people are happy with it. So <laughs> so they could very well rest on their laurels, but that's not the way Google does things. No, no, it likes to innovate. It likes to innovate and it likes to keep ahead. And that's why we like Google. And that's why we like Google. This is not an advertisement for Google, by the way. No one, they haven't no. paid us to say this. <laughs> they have not paid us to say this at all. <laughs> and no one pays uh, us to say anything. No. Tickets yeah. to the show are free. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> hey, now for something completely different, have you, did you hear the story about the internet connected pacemaker? I did. I did. Isn't that kind first of cool? thing I thought the first thing that came to mind when I thought of it, when I, when I heard yeah. of it was, that's awesome. Second thing I thought of <laughs> that came to mind when I thought about it was, I wonder if you can DDoS it. <laughs> yeah, malware, yeah, or DDoS, yeah, either or. <laughs> oh, no. Well, hang on, let's describe it. I wonder if you can hack into it. I wonder well, if, you know, this <laughs> script kitty in his parents' basement can <laughs> turn your pacemaker off. Yeah, you kind of want to have antivirus on that thing. No, look, let's before <laughs> before we go too far, let's let's just describe how it works. It's I think you know it seems to be a sort of a re- one way only system. So I, yes, you know, yes, I don't think the, you can write to it. You can only read from no, it. So oh, yeah, you can yeah, read so, from it, and the pacemaker itself does not have a MAC address. The pacemaker no, itself right. does not yeah so, have an IP. It, yeah, <laughs> so they have thought of these things, which is brilliant to see yeah so what 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 you do is you've got the pacemaker and it talks wirelessly to a a unit that's plugged into you know in your home that's that's wired up and it it basically offloads all its data to this unit and that unit then in its own time goes and uploads that data to a server uh, via the internet and then doctors can examine that and look at you know, dangerous uh, traces, heartbeat traces and so on. So it, it's really just a one-way th- system. Uh, so the reality is I don't, hopefully, uh, it's not DDoSable or virus-prone or anything like that. 
Well, even if it is, the only thing that's going to be affected is the box plugged into the internet. Yeah, the pacemaker will continue to always do its thing. All it's doing is, you know, radio frequency sending out its information and the box is picking up that information. It doesn't send anything to the pacemaker. And so I I guess you got it. The doctor might suddenly, you know, connect to the box and have be provided with pop-ups to inappropriate websites because they discovered <laughs> yep. they could hack into the box. Well, no, they don't even go to the box. They, they go to a server. They don't even mm. this, so they don't even connect to that device. But you, I guess the only thing is you've got to hope that the pacemaker itself has been engineered such that if it can't upload its data, it doesn't just die and stop working. You know, you've got to, you know, well, which I know sounds, sounds obvious to us, but, you know, when you're actually engineering these things, these are the sorts of bugs that can actually creep in you know if, if i if i can't connect to a system i'm expecting to to dump my data and you know do i just break and fall over or have i got correct error handling routines in there to then just carry on and try again x amount of hours later yeah well you would you would hope that they made it basically you know they made it headless they made it stupid it just continuously broadcasts its information it doesn't care whether or not somebody's picking it up it just does its broadcasting well you also i hope that the routine itself that takes that reads the data and sends it to the wireless thing is a separate piece of or separate chips and separate code from the thing that actually sends out the heartbeat signal well that is trigger. true that is true you would definitely want those to be yeah. completely separate oh, yeah. circuits <laughs> yeah that, that's for sure yeah but it's kind of cool. It's it's this is good because this is a great way, great example of another use of the internet, where in, in areas that we just really wouldn't have predicted some years ago. Yeah, nah, brilliant, but, awesome way of doing. It. It's yeah. an awesome idea. It's an awesome thing that's actually come to fruition, and hopefully, it will prove its worth and be a lot of help to a lot of people. Yeah, and this is in the US, isn't it? Yeah, I think in New, New York. York. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, the first recipient. So yeah, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, um, they they haven't said in any of the things I've read about this device whether or not it's you know got an internal battery that'll need to be replaced, and you know you'd hope there'd be, as you were saying, you'd, uh, separate systems, separate batteries. Oh yeah, separate batteries. <laughs> yeah. Um, or if it's one of those ones which um, gets its power through transducer, the thing that you wear on the outside. Oh okay. I didn't even. I thought I figured they were all battery driven these things the, the well, traditional the, ones are they not are some of them not the, well the traditional ones are, are battery driven but I have read of pacemakers which are powered and recharged by a device which you have on the outside put in your chest pocket yeah, that's you, you kind of think you'd be, you'd be able to drive these things from body heat actually you'd think you'd be able yeah. to convert heat into it'd be another way well you can see the, the, the possibility of in fact I remember rightly in one of my searches for bizarre new technology, there was something. Have you heard of, oh, it was quite a while ago, a few months ago, uh, there was an exhibition. I have no idea where it was. Cannot remember. But it was all of these bizarre new devices like clocks and tables and those sorts of things, which lit up or, or told the time or those sorts of things. But they all run. They all got their power from digesting insects or vermin what like <laughs> so you got this table right so you have a table with a leg and the leg has a mouse trap in it and it it the mouse runs in the leg and climbs up and the mouse then gets trapped and humanely killed and dumped into this bat into this little flask of bacteria that then digests the rat and produces electricity. <laughs> You're not process. serious, are you? It's a, no, really? it's a biological fuel cell. <laughs> and That's so, cool. And they've got a, yeah. I think. One of the cool <laughs> ones was a, a wall clock, a wall-mounted clock with a big continuous belt of sticky flypaper. And so the flies would be attracted, they'd get stuck on the flypaper. And the flypaper was a continuous treadmill, basically. So it was conveyor belt. That's the word I'm looking for. So it was continuously moving. And so the fly would make travel around until it got to the bottom end of it where there was a scraper. And the scraper would scrape the fly off and drop it into the vat of bacteria. And the electricity provided by the digestion, released by the bacteria, powered not only the clock, 
but also the little conveyor belt. <laughs> but <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Wouldn't you just want to power it by solar or something? Well, it, it's this. These this objects, is just proof of concept, for, isn't it? These, yeah, these objects were done for proof of concept and also for novelty and art. But one of the the this led me on to read another article, which was about a similar system, but using blood. Human so, blood or? Any kind of blood, being able to digest mammals. And it was about building robots that could power themselves by finding, you know, dead things and picking them up. And, and eating dumping them. them into the, well, yeah, basically Pretty dumping much, them yeah. into the bacteria. Wow. Um, fuel cell and powering themselves like that. But one of the talks they had which came off from this was one which could run on blood, digestion of blood, and its possibility of being incorporated into, you know, implants, prosthetics, pacemakers, those sorts of things where it would virtually run off of you. Oh, I see, yeah. But, you know, going back to the table, the, for example, at the table that <laughs> that <laughs> that can tell the time by producing electricity well, from eating animals. Uh, does does a table excrete? What does it do with a waste product? I guess you have to empty it oh. after a little while. But <laughs> depending on how voracious and you know what it was that the the bacteria used, they might use almost all of the stuff. And that you that just really have makes every now and then, and put in some new stuff. It was really interesting, kind of creepy, kind of creepy, <laughs> but very interesting. <laughs> kind of makes Microsoft's efforts with their coffee table look like nothing, really. Well, can you imagine Microsoft's Surface that was powered by the mouse traps in its legs? <laughs> it depends okay. on where you are. Obviously, you might have to start feeding get mouse mice that well, I think they you know they <laughs> you might get the RSPCA down on you for that <laughs> oh yeah what deliberately feeding them indeed why <laughs> why are you breeding mice so that I can keep my computer running <laughs> yeah I think the uh, the oh, RSPCA would come down on you for that one yeah I think they had something to say uh, yeah that's for sure but, yeah some of these things are very interesting like the 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 robot which goes out and does stuff and runs on by picking up roadkill and stuff. <laughs> that was interesting. So could, you, could you build a computer that's powered by this? I know, well, if they can build a robot that's powered by this sort of thing, I guess you could guess build you it. Could. Well, it. It's obviously got a computer in it. Well, would it be able to run? Yeah, you'd be able to play computer games, though. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it'd be too, too much you wouldn't be able to. Would you be able you're... to run Microsoft Office? Possibly. On a Mac? Mm, I don't know. Uh, How a, efficient are Macs? Well, now, well, well, I think they're pretty efficient, especially with uh, Outlook 2010 that's going to be coming out. This is my segue well, into the story. <laughs> <laughs> that's efficient in a completely different way, unpower-related. But oh, I guess no. This is this is office power. Yeah. Well, look. Um, I, look this is the only way I could think of of creating a segue into the story, going from basically. <laughs> <laughs> Going <for> carnivorous <laughs> robots to Microsoft releasing Outlook for the Mac. So that was my best effort. I, I think that was all right, wasn't it? I think it was a brilliant segue. <laughs> all right, so into the story then. What's actually happening is Microsoft have announced that the Mac is going to get a real bona fide version of Outlook. Yay! <laughs> At long last. Seriously. Not a cut-down version, not Entourage, which is basically also another cut-down version. Remember, they, they did Outlook uh, Outlook 97 or whatever it was called uh, for OS 9. It was very, very cut-down. It was called Outlook, but it was more just like the first two letters. There, there was really <laughs> not a lot of stuff in there. And then they released Entourage, which we've had for a while now, and it really is... Is oh, it's it's terrible. I really I don't like it at all. I, I, as you know, Brett, I have a a Mac both at home and in the office. And at the office, mm. we've got Exchange, and you know, Entourage is is terrible. It really is. You, you'd think it would work well, but it's not. So this is really really good news. I'm excited about this. It's brilliant news. What surprises me is they didn't do it before. I know. I know. Why? <laughs> I think you why? Why not? Well, I mean, I guess, I guess, many, they, like, I guess in the past they've had that huge, you know, there's been that real Microsoft versus Mac rivalry going on. But surely from a business perspective, 
Microsoft as a business, they have software that they are providing for the Mac platform. There are businesses and corporations and education institutions and government agencies and all that sort of stuff out there who are mixes of PCs and Macs. And surely you would want your office that you're providing for the Mac and for the PC with its Outlook, which is, you know, connects to Exchange and is all about that email, collaboration, calendars, all that sort of stuff. You'd want to provide that on both platforms so that there would be a perfect business case for that business or government agency or education or whatever to purchase Exchange. Well, Macs are more common now, but maybe the reason that they didn't do it earlier is simply that the Macs weren't that big a slice of the market in these organizations. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe, maybe it was, or maybe it was the way. Then of, why did they offer the office suite in the first place? Well, yeah, they, well, actually, that's a fair question. I think Word's pretty much full, as as far as I know. There are, there aren't any features in in the PC version of Word that I that I lack that or can't find in the in the Mac version. So yeah, it's a it's a fair question actually. Brett, why didn't they do it for Outlook? Yeah, yeah. Why well, didn't they do it in the beginning? The, the, what the, was the reason? What is the history behind this? This would be this would be a brilliant opportunity for anybody from Microsoft who knows the history behind why a real version of Outlook was not included in an, any previous Mac version of Office. It's a story we want to know. Absolutely. We could contact the PR department of Microsoft, but we'll get the PR version. So if someone from deep down in the, I don't know, in, in the business unit of Microsoft wants to come forth and let us know, get yeah. in touch with us at boysoftech.com. Because we have to really want to know why. But look, um, <laughs> it is it is a good thing, isn't it? I think it is a brilliant thing. It, I, like you say, it's it's so you know why why didn't they do this earlier? I don't know. It's so frustrating as a Mac user to connect to to Exchange and only have half the services available to me. It's 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 really frustrating. So oh, I'm looking forward to this. I'm I'm going to have this on my machine. Absolutely. Excellent. So yeah, good stuff. Good on them. Now, the other interesting story, the, the other mover and shaker that's, uh, that people have been talking about this week is Yahoo coming out and saying, we have a solution to spam. And of course, when everyone, anyone says that, we're, you know, you kind of look at them with you look at them, Yeah, look at them that askance and going, you have a what? Yeah, exactly. Well, here's what they say. And I can see their point, but so let's describe it first and then we can debate it. What mm-hmm. they are proposing is an email system where it costs per message to to, you know, to send email. One, I think one cent an email. The rationale being that spammers who want to send ten million messages are not going to you know spend hundred thousand dollars doing that. It's just it won't be worth it. So so they are saying by charging per message, you're not going to get spam. So is this going to work? Hmm. Well, I can, yes, I can that poke, is the question. Well, I can poke some holes in this. <laughs> Should I, I begin or, or do you want to? Oh, go for it. Go well, for it. Well, first of all, the, the, the thing to remember is that as a user of that service, if I choose to use this Yahoo service and pay a cent to send my email, I'm mm-hmm. benefiting who? I'm benefiting the recipient, not me. Indeed. Because the recipient is the one that's not going to get the spam from something coming from the Yahoo network. Yep. So why would I want to spend money to benefit people to whom I send email? I'd rather spend the money for myself, mm. for my benefit. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the system is still prone to spam from incoming mail from outside of their network unless yep. they filter it or block it, in which case they're going to... I don't know. First of all, if you block incoming mail from, say, hotmail.com, well, yep. you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because you're kind of going to create this isolated email network. And if you filter it, well, you're kind of going back to the technology of filtering. So why aren't they using that in the first place? Yeah. So it, it kind of seems like a, I don't know, I, I'm skeptical. The only way I can see this working is if they do indeed create this isolated network that is completely locked off, that you can only send to and from that system. And that people see the benefits of that and they get this huge critical mass, if you like, and people move to the system completely. That, that's the only way I can see it working. 
I can't see it working with the rest of the internet as I've just described. You have to filter or block and it just doesn't yeah. make sense. I, I'm not really sure it's going to work. Not really sure it's going to work at all. And for the reasons that you said, also it, it's, it's the internet that we're talking about here and trying to unite everybody who uses the internet to use the one thing and to take that one thing as being the, the gospel source of, of non-spam email, I just don't see people bringing in everybody. And then this yeah, gets it's, everybody. Exactly. It's going to be too hard to do. It's still going to mean that, well, that's brilliant. So half the people and businesses that I deal with use sent mail. Oh, actually, would a business use it? <laughs> would a business want to be paying for something which they currently do for free? Well, yeah, because if they well, that comes back to my first point. They're not getting the benefit if they're paying. It's exactly. the recipients that are getting it's the benefit. The recipients so, that's getting the benefit of it. Yeah. So, is a business really going to be doing that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Possibly, they might. They might do that to be able to get their spam through sent mail. But <laughs> is Joe Bloggs going to do it? And if fifty of your friends are using sent mail, but fifty of your friends are not, are you going to have your email only accept stuff from sent mail and not receive any email from those other fifty people that you know? Or are you going to try and get all of the people that you know to try and use sent mail? They've got a big challenge. They've got a big challenge. The other problem, of course, is that the the money goes to charity. Yeah, that was the other point part I didn't mention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the money goes to charity, so you're not paying Yahoo. Your your cent goes on to a charity, and I'm not sure if it's a you know it gets to go to a charity of your choice or whether or not it goes to a charity pool. But what happens if it if it automatically gets assigned to a charity and it's a charity that you do not support or you do not agree with or if you receive an email and it's the money from that email has gone to something that you do not support well yeah because who's going to get to choose what that pool is and that's another barrier to people you know it drawing everybody into it I, I think that's the way of g- trying to get customers in, isn't it? It's it's the the charity thing. Like, yeah, your money, as you said, your money's not going to Yahoo. It's going to a charity. Indeed. And so, you, unless you, can't you object get that to feel good, that feel good feeling of yeah. knowing that you are giving to charity, you know, the it's whole got a lot of barriers. So many different things have already been tried to be the stopper of spam. This is the end of spam. This this service will end spam for all time. I don't think it will end spam, no. not unless it can draw everybody to it, not unless it became the email place. Now, the, the dangers with that, of course, is that Yahoo will then own email. Indeed, Yahoo yeah, that, will then dangerous. own email. If you know, something happened to sent mail, email would go away. Let me, let me propose something like I did for the Word document thing. Here's what I think should happen. I think we need to redesign email completely. And I, I, people are going to hate me for saying this, but I'm going to say it. Now, I think we do need a pay-per-mail model if, if it's just one cent an email something like that but instead of having one organization like yahoo effectively owning the system what i think what we need is that everyone can participate in order for a mail server to communicate with another mail server in order to deliver mail it authenticates itself or identifies itself and a clearinghouse uh, you know, the data goes off to Clearinghouse and this overarching Clearinghouse does all the, you know, the evening out of who owes who, how much and so on. Yeah, I'm going to have to completely disagree with you. I don't Why think we that? should pay for email. You don't, you don't reckon? No, no. We're already technically paying for email. I'm, ta- I'm paying to be connected to the internet. I don't have free internet. I'm paying to be connected to internet. Do I want to then have to pay to send an email through the internet that I'm already paying for? Do I want to pay to visit a web page? Well, some do. Over the you, internet? You, well, if you go to Rupert well, Murdoch's yeah, site, you, you, but, you pay Well, them. yes, if you go on the Rupert Murdoch's site, you're paying to view stuff over the internet. But what if Google, you paid to go to Google? Right, so you, you're saying you've got a choice now, at least. Yeah, we have so a choice. With, with the, I, can, yeah. I can send emails, I can go to Google, but when does it stop? When does this extra layer of cost stop? 
Sure, it might be a way to stop spam, but what is it also going to prevent? It's going to be one of those other things that either you're going to accept it as another part of the internet tax of this is the, the extra money is coming out of your pocket every time that you send an email and are you going to then start sending less email? Is your business going to start restricting the number of emails that its staff can send? And is somebody then going to pick up on that and go, oh, well, why don't we start charging per view of web pages? Why don't we start charging per call for Skype, for VoIP, voice over IP? Why don't we charge? Because it's only a cent each time you do it. It's only a cent. But then think of the number of times you do anything on the internet per day. Well, in a way, though, Brett, you, you, you kind of are paying for those things because... Well, indeed, I'm paying, when you, I'm, pay for the, I'm paying for my internet connection. I'm already paying for these things. I don't want to be paying it a dozen times. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. So you end up paying twice if you Yeah, I don't know. you're paying I, for the internet. You're paying when, for when, your use of the internet. You're paying for the provision of the internet to you. You're paying the, for the provision of all these other things for you. What? But wouldn't you agree that the, bene- not, wouldn't well, the benefits the outweigh the... The, the, wouldn't the benefits of a spam-free system hugely outweigh the the current situation? No. No. What's a cent, man? What's a cent? A cent for an email. How many emails do you send? 10 a day? 20 a day? It's only going to be like 20 cents a day. Okay, 20 cents a day. Maybe more. dollar a week. It's 52 extra dollars a year. $104 after two years. That's... Just the same as going, well, you know, they're raising the rates. They're raising rates. Okay. Let me modify this. You pay a cent to send an email, but to receive, you get paid, say, 0.8 of a cent, the, the rest having to go to administration costs. How's that? So if you send and receive the same amount, you're kind of paying almost nothing for email. That would be a service that might have a possibility. The constant flow of money for the use of the internet that you're already paying for going out of your wallet and nothing ever coming back. I send you an email, money comes out of my wallet, go somewhere. You send me an email, money comes out of your wallet and go somewhere. Why shouldn't it be, I send an email to you, money comes out of my wallet, goes into your wallet. You send me an email, money comes out of your wallet and goes into my wallet. Yeah, I mean, I, Why can't I, it be that way? Why can't it be a nice yeah. evening out? That way yeah, you have well, to charge well, that's, well, that's what to I was, try yeah. and eliminate spam. It will not eliminate spam. But it will hugely reduce it to next to nothing, that's for sure. I don't think so. I do not think it will reduce it to next to nothing. Well, spammers need to send out tens of millions of emails. It's just not – it won't be – they just won't be able to – it won't be a business model for them if, if they have to pay $100,000 to do it. Not for tens of millions, but they'll just they'll scale back their systems. No, nah, it's not going to get the returns because you only get one person and whatever, whatever it is, 10,000 that responds. I, I think you'll find that the, it just won't generate the returns. If they scale back, they won't get enough responses to... I don't know. I, 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 no, I, no, I, this. I, well, I personally wonder how spam works in the first place. I would never answer any spam advertising. Yeah, apparently I, it makes well, money. And apparently, apparently people it do, makes though. a crap load of money. I know, and people do. This, this is the scary thing. There are people out there that do. Maybe they should be paying for, <laughs> for spam filters for everyone else. That's a better it solution. Did. Yeah. Respond to spam, pay 10 bucks towards the global spam filter project or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I kind of like my revised version of where you, you know, I send you an email, it costs me a cent, you send me an email, and it go, kind of goes, it effectively goes to you because you receive the email, you receive that cent, or maybe slightly less because, you know, you kind of have to have, there'll be, there'll always be some overheads, but you'll receive most of that money. Yep. I, I like but that idea. How would you manage, how would you manage the financials of a system like that? Well, this is what I say, you need a clearinghouse and all the service, yeah, all the, who pays for the clearinghouse? Well, this is where, you know, you only get 0.8 of my cent. The 0.2 of that cent goes to the clearinghouse to, to run the system. That, that's what I was meaning. So, you, and all the mail servers on the internet have to authenticate against themselves and, you know, when they're sending mail to each other and against the clearinghouse. So, it's all fully authenticated. It's all, it's, the whole thing is like one giant application, pay for application. <laughs> I'm getting excited. I might, I might file a patent. I for this. so don't think. I do not think that'd work. 
you know, it's a nice it, idea, but I'm, I'm going to get hate mail for suggesting that the whole world has to pay for email. But I do think yeah, I'm still convinced world. that this is the only way we're going to get rid of 99.9 percent of spam. And I do not believe it'll get rid of spam. <laughs> I would only support a system which did not cost me money, or any more that you already pay. Would I guess get rid of spam completely. Well, I'll tell you what I do agree with you on, and that, that is that this Yahoo sent mail system is, that won't work at all. It I, has I, a lot of drawbacks. Yeah. what? It's an interesting system that would work with filters as being, it is not the all email goes through there and gets paid for, but if you want, it would have to be a system where they could guarantee that mail sent through sent mail is not spam, so they would have to ensure that people who sent spam to limited numbers, you know, a spammer with a specific clientele or a specific subset of clientele that they target, you know, maybe only a couple of, uh, you know, tens of thousands, and they're quite willing to fit foot the, you know, $1,000 bill or whatever because of the return in investments that they're obviously getting that they don't jump onto sent mail and start using the system because it could work that way as that being that is a guaranteed if it comes from sent mail it is guaranteed to be not spam then people with email systems would set up their filters to definitely let sent mail in yeah that'll be on the whitelist and it's going to be a huge yeah. disappointment so when, a guaranteed. when someone abuses that yeah and it will be a huge disappointment the moment somebody jumps on there some spammer who's made millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars decides to destroy this system by going, well, it's costing me money, so I'll destroy it by signing up to it, investing 10 grand to destroy this thing and send 10 grand worth of spam to discredit this system. It just takes one, no, one, two, three of the big spam groups to jump onto a system like this and completely destroy its credibility. Yeah. Now, that's a, that's Unless the thing, they've it's got something, the, <laughs> some really good way in the background of vetting yeah. it. You mean, if, they make it too, if they make it too difficult to vet, then people aren't going to use it. And so it defeats the purpose in the first place. Yeah. It's, uh, Yahoo's heart the, is in the right place. Yeah. I fully support the intention, the intention of getting rid of spam because spam is, well, other than, you know, every now and then getting some spam, which is so badly done that it's hilarious. And I'm perfectly fine with receiving hilarious spam. <laughs> Provides a smile during the day. But, yeah, the, the intention of reducing or getting rid of spam is, is a great thing. It's a huge glut. It's using up resources, costing people time and money. Oh, it's it's, it's incredible. It's 90... also created its own business, spam filters, all those sorts of things. They would not exist without spam. So people are making money from the fighting of this thing. So... I mean, it's 97% of our email is spam. And we it, it kind of seems like we spend so much time and effort on combating spam, on, on you mm-hmm. know, filters and, yep. and, and extra bandwidth. You know, but only the, 3% the, the... of the bandwidth for email is legit. Yeah, it's, it's but ridiculous. the filters do work. I don't get the, the huge amounts of spam I used to do because yeah, look, of the, yeah. the reliability and the you know the effort that's being put into the filters. But you got to admit that the whole filter thing is just a band aid, really. It's a good band aid, but it's still a band aid. It, it, it is a band aid, but it's a problem that is is now happened. It is now entrenched, and I really see it being one of those uphill struggles to get rid of. It's like curing the common cold. Yeah, maybe you just have to live with it. That's what you're saying, really, isn't it? That's the reality. Yeah, yeah. It's, there are all, there are many things out there which you really wish they didn't didn't exist, but they do, and you have to pick your battles. Yep, uh, it's going to be a tough one, that's for sure. Well, anyway, Brett, that's I think those are our stories for the week, at least for the international stories. Yeah. It's been a good week. Oh, Lots yeah. It's been a great show so far. Don't go away, though. After the break, we've got the New Zealand stories. All right, welcome back. As you know, we've got the newcomer to the mobile market here in New Zealand called Two Degrees. 
that's basically our third mobile operator. Uh, third oh, mobile operator. They had a big launch. Now they're going. So it's well, <laughs> the launch wasn't that successful though, was it? Because not really. They've, not they've, really. they've got what have they got? They've got two parts of the two most important parts of their website. The uh, the part where you register, I think, and and can buy in the store. Uh, they're, they're both offline because of uh, security breaches. But yep. uh, the, the story here, though, the, the the thing I wanted to talk about is the the termination rates that were agreed. I think it was NBR published details of the termination agreement between Vodafone and Two Degrees. And the Commerce Commission have censored that. They've asked NBR to pull the story and to remove it from Google Cache and all the rest of the the places out there on the internet. And the, the, the story actually carried the details of the rates that were being paid. And it turned out that to deliver a call to the Vodafone network, Two Degrees only paid part or less than the, the amount that Vodafone had to pay to deliver a call to the Two Degrees network. They're only paying about two-thirds. Interesting. Now, we won't, we won't really say that the, the exact values because I think we might get ourselves into a little bit of trouble. But mm. I, I've, I've got the values. I found that the, the, the other part of the story is this, is that WikiLeaks, if you really want to know, WikiLeaks have actually published the story or republished it, the, the, the one that was reported by NBR that was yep. censored. So WikiLeaks is the thorn in the censor's side. <laughs> it's been the thorn in many censors' sides. So is censorship on the internet just not going to work anymore? It's futile. Yeah, once something's gotten out. It's out. You're, you're never going to get it back. No. You play, the WikiLeaks is only one, one such place. There have been other examples as well. In fact, I remember stories of name suppression here in New Zealand and you know, you could you could go on the internet and find the person's name fairly easily with a Google search. Yeah, and and there because wasn't the even suppression was here, but not yeah, elsewhere. Exactly. So you had sites in Australia and other parts of the world that were happy to publish the story, including the names that were suppressed in New Zealand. So we could go and find them. So this is kind of this. There's a little bit further than that, though. This is kind of now on WikiLeaks only. So WikiLeaks is kind of known for their, you know, for pushing the boundary on censored information. Indeed. Mm. So if if you are interested, go and have a look at the the, the document on WikiLeaks, uh, the termination rates between two degrees and Vodafone. It's very interesting. The rates, I, I, I've read them, I've seen them. And what I probably can tell you is that the termination rate that two degrees pays to the Vodafone network is significantly less than the other way around, which is rather interesting. That is rather interesting. And Vodafone want this to be published. They They want this out in the open. Mm. Two degrees aren't so keen, and the Commerce Commission, as I say, uh, censored this. So, mm. yeah, the power of the internet. Now, just on the Section ninety two A thing that that's been brewing for the last what three months, four months, yeah. probably more than that, actually five or six more months than that, now. Yeah. yeah. Well, Internet New Zealand proposed a new system, and what they're saying is that instead of having all these disconnects and whatnots. Here's what we should do. We should implement what they call a notice and notice system. That's basically where you dob someone in or you know, the, the record industry suspects someone. A notice is sent to that person via the ISP. So they get a letter saying that you know they believe that they may have been breaching copyright, blah, blah, blah. And if they're guilty, you know, they'll hopefully take heed of that. And, and Indeed, a lot of people cease. will stop doing something yep. once they think they've been caught in the act. And if if it's a false alarm, well, you know, there's no black mark against your name. It's just a notice. There's no nothing else. With Precisely. It. Yeah. If the if the record company or the copyright holder got it wrong, <laughs> and you weren't the person, you got who nothing did to worry about. Or, yeah, it's just a letter to say, hey, you know, we we somebody we are watching you. Thinks you might. Yeah, yeah. we Some, think you. Somebody yeah. thinks you might have breached copyright on the internet. So yeah, if you are being naughty, please stop. I think the system will work quite well, actually. That's a much better alternative. And it's kind of similar to what we have for road rules at the moment. If, mm. I, don't if you, I don't know if many people know this, but you can go to the police website if you spot a dodgy driver or someone cuts you off or almost has an accident and they're in, in the wrong or runs mm. a red light. You can go into the police website here in, in uh, police.govt.nz and report that driver. Now, nothing's binding, but I think what they do get is a, a thing in the mail saying, you know, a drive, another driver has reported that you blah, 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 uh, you know, and uh, it, it kind of, you know, for people who are guilty of these things, it, it really does serve as a good wake-up call. And that's maybe yeah. the best 
way of tackling this problem instead of d- disconnects from the internet. Yeah, and instead of disconnects, instead of proof of innocence and, and all of those sorts of things, this wake-up call sort of way is, yeah, I think it's a much better system than anything that they have proposed previously or, or anything that is in place anywhere else. Well, I think uh, we should go with this, uh, this suggestion from Internet NZ. Uh, hopefully the mm. government will seriously consider that, although they are under a, a bit of pressure from the US studios, which is interesting. They're putting pressure on our New Zealand laws. They, yeah. they want uh, the US studios basically do re- want to, re- uh, not reinstate, I should say, but go with the original proposal of disconnection. Yep, they want disconnections is the outcome that they really want. But what <laughs> one of the other things they really want is for a more streamlined system for pursuing legal action and forgetting these disconnections. Because as we all know, the recording industry is well known for sending out mass infringement notices. Thousands of these things. And all of these things take legal time to do. And people who've received these notices can then stall the process in the recording industry's eyes by taking it through arbitration. And there's only so many of these things that can go through the copyright tribunal and it slows the whole process down and it costs the industry money to do or pursue all of these things. So they would like to be able to take a big bulk of infringement notices, take them to an adjudicator, dump them at the adjudicator and go, yeah, yeah, adjudicator, these are people who we say are copyright infringers. We would like you to order these people to be disconnected. And the part about this, which really got up my nose, is they would like to have it that if the people accused in these infringement notices, have not responded, have not disputed the uh, infringement notice, they would like it to be deemed that those people have waived some of their rights. Oh, man. So it gets right back to that guilty until you prove yourself innocent. And if you don't attempt to prove yourself innocent, if you sit there and go, I never did anything, I never did what they're claiming I did. Why should I make this infringement notice legitimate by giving it the time of day? Recording industry would like people like that to be basically giving up some of their rights. Oh, that's just uh, oh, to, you know, representation in this adjudication crazy. so that the adjudicator can go, oh, okay, that person didn't respond to an infringement notice. They're obviously guilty. We'll disconnect them. That person did not dispute their infringement notice. We'll disconnect them. Oh man! Because it would that's, make it that's so ridi- much no, easier for, yeah. <laughs> for the um, recording industry to get all of these things through the copyright tribunal. Because yeah, honestly, the number well, of people the, the who thing- would receive these things and actually take action—if you received an infringement notice and you were not infringing, you knew you weren't, and you cannot believe that somebody would send you something that says you were infringing. Would you give it the time of day? Well, I'll say this. If it was a fine itself with, you know, a dollar amount written out saying pay by, you know, pay in 20 days, I definitely would. Yeah. But, but if this it's is, just a notice. they can't do that. No, that's the thing. If it's just a notice. If it's just a warning notice saying, oi, we think you're um, stealing from us on the internet. Well, Stop either, it. The thing is, it's, it seems really unfair to say, you know, we, we think you downloaded whatever it was and that was breach of copyright. If you believe this is inaccurate, do the following action. It's like, well, why should I? Why, why don't you do certain actions to prove that I did? Yeah. Now, this is ridiculous. What's scarier, though, is that this is coming from a US lobby group, not a New Zealand one. And yeah, yet they're, trying to, they're, they're, they're really business. wanting to pressure our, our laws. It's not even coming from from, you know, uh, Warner Music New Zealand or anything like that. It's coming from the US. It's coming from the US. They're, they're well, trying from, to bully everybody else's copyright. From the lobby group FACT, Federation yeah. Against Copyright Theft. So that, that's ah. actually the scariest part, the, the fact that they are putting pressure on our system here to, to implement the law that, that they want to have implemented here. 
Indeed. I don't... And once again, this is this shortcutting the system, this streamlining the system for the copyright industry is removing due process and due diligence from the system for the people being accused. So, yeah. <laughs> I say no. I say definitely not. Look, I, I think a lot of people would, would go along with that. The, the, unfortunately... History has shown that you know commercial lobby groups like this do have a lot of clout when it, you know with the government. They kind of often they do get their way, or at least uh, you know certain things get put in place with these lobby groups, and that's that's the, the sad reality. But I, I may be speaking too soon, but I have I've seen how these things go, and I, I'm not sure that 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 this will be completely ignored by the politicians. I think they'll have something in there that goes along those lines. It's completely ridiculous. It is. It is ridiculous. Yeah. What happened to due process? What happened to you know innocent until proven guilty? Well, my only hope is that the national government have have really touted themselves as a no nonsense government. You know, let's get rid of any nonsense and mm-hmm. stupidity that that might exist in our system. So my only hope is that this might be one of those things that they see as completely ridiculous. If they are to be believed in the way that they handled it previously. Then yeah, let's let's hope common sense prevails. I've got my fingers crossed. <laughs> That's for I've sure. Got my fingers crossed. Well, the last story I want to talk about this week, I'm not sure whether I, w- I should be laughing or crying, but Telecom, basically in the form of Yahoo Extra, are going to venture back into online shopping. Remember Ferret? Yep, I remember Ferret. Uh, it it failed abysmally. It was a complete flop. Uh, they're going to give it complete another go. Complete flop, but. Some pretty funny adverts. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll give them that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were, they were good, but nevertheless, it was still a complete flop. Yep. And they're going back into the online shopping business. They're doing a joint venture now with Hubster, which is yeah. an operating s- subsidiary of The Deal. And so it's all going to be implemented by Hubster, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, but it's going to be, as I understand, published through a channel on the Yahoo Extra site. Yahoo Extra has a... That's a big audience to be sticking yourself in front of, so could succeed. I think the the main reason that Ferret failed is that they they really didn't have any point of difference. It was it was existing stores. You could, it, for example, you could buy stuff from Dick Smith through Ferret, mm-hmm. but you could also buy it through either Dick Smith online or Dick Smith physically. There was yep. nothing different about this Ferret. It was just the only thing. It was bringing things together on, in one place. But yeah, uh, people, you know, it's hard to change people's habits if they if they're used to going to dsc.co.nz. They're always going to do that. They're not going to go to ferret.co.nz and search for electronic goods that way. Indeed. What was their point of difference and how were they going to make money? Exactly. How were they and making money on it? You know, the other thing was... You couldn't, you couldn't charge more well, for they the were, Dick Smith they stuff. Were. They were. Char- this is the other thing. They were, because uh, I had a look. Ferret were charging more than what I could get the product elsewhere. It was, it so was if you a, went to the actual the actual retailer's website, you could get it cheaper than you yes, could. Yes, you could, at least for some of them. I, I saw uh, some examples myself. Yeah, it's, it's pathetic. Well, there's, there's a really good reason as to how it failed. Exactly. You know, I, I think I know what they were thinking. What they were thinking is the point of difference is that everything is in one place and that's enough. That's a big enough point of difference. Everyone's going to uh, come here because Ferret is going to be the name synonymous with online shopping, at least here in New Zealand. That well, was, I think, what they were thinking. That's what, you know, I guess that's what they were thinking, but do people, well, that's a question for New Zealand shoppers. How do you shop online? Me, personally, if I have something to buy and I'm going to buy it online, I know what I'm going to buy, so I will find a place that I can buy it from. Now, how do you do that? Well, if I know what it is and it's something that I'd pop down to Dick Smith's to buy from, then I would obviously go to Dick Smith's. If I wanted something secondhand, well... Everybody knows where you go to buy something secondhand in New Zealand online. Other things, I'd do a Google search, see where it came from, see where I could buy it from. I'd want to go to, you know, the source or the place with the cheapest price. But some of those things, if you do a Google search, it may well return some of those results from, say, Ferret when Ferret was around. Yeah. So you may have ended up there. (laughs) If the price is not the cheapest, then... Why would you get it? Yeah, from? actually, that's that's the other thing. Uh, with online shopping, I think a lot more focus is on the price now than it ever exactly. was in the traditional. So it is pricing aggregators do a 
a roaring trade. Like in, pricebuy.co.nz. Yeah, like pricebuy. You, I want to buy a new razor. So off to pricebuy. Where can I get it cheapest? Aha, there's the website. I go to that website and buy it from there. So Makes you wonder pe- how shopping aggregators get their money too. Must be advertising. So people don't think, oh, I'm going to go to ferret.co.nz for anything I buy. It's just, a, it's too hard to get people to think, yeah, start thinking like they that. Were, they were trying to make an online mall. Yeah. This is the shopping mall. This is where you come to buy your stuff. When in fact, this is the internet. It is the shopping mall. Yeah, that's exactly. That's, it is that's where I go to buy stuff online. Yeah, I think that's where they fell over. So what I'm saying for this one is that if they're going to give this another go, let's let's hope they learn from their previous mistakes. And for a start, let's not have a a system that charges more than anywhere else. Surely you want to charge the same price as existing or participating. Um, yeah, you want to be at the same price or cheaper. If you want people to buy it from you, there's a point of difference. But then, how would you do that? Well, even if it's, it's not, really difficult well, to be an aggregator service like that, where you're selling the product of other people, where the other people are also selling their own product. Yeah, maybe for Who's this one, they, the I'm not sure what. Yeah, well, maybe for this one, they may not allow people to sell uh, separately. Maybe they'll they'll have to force them through this channel. I don't know. But well, then there are a lot of places that they're I'm, not going to get. Well, I'm only spe- I'm, of course I'm, I'm only speculating, but. They need a point of difference, eh? They, 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 they need, need a point, a point of, difference. of difference of some sort that's of value enough for customers to actually want to shop there. And so all I'm saying is that in this case, let's hope they get that point of difference. Let's hope that they understand why Ferret failed. Mm. And this time it may actually work. But, with it, but unless let's, those things happen, they, it's going to be another Ferret. Yep. yep. It's going to be another Ferret if, if they don't take, you know, lessons learned. But also they've got to realize that it's not that New Zealanders don't have a place to buy online. New Zealanders have the internet to buy online. <laughs> New Zealanders buy from all over the world and get their stuff delivered. There are tons of different places you can get New Zealand products from New Zealand online. It's not like we don't have the ability to shop online. So for them to create some sort of shopping mall sort of deal, they really do have to come up with some sort of point of difference. I wonder if they're trying to do an Amazon because Amazon nowadays do sell a lot of stuff. You know, Amazon can, sell almost everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, books, CDs, DVDs, movies, music. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, as in, you know, digital download music. Digital download music, digital download movies, digital download TV. Clothing, footwear. Electronics, yeah. kitchen. <laughs> you can buy frying pans, perfume. Now, the thing is, it worked for Amazon things. though, didn't and, it? It worked yeah, for Amazon. So why it didn't works it work for Amazon? Because They've got their critical mass. I think that's what it was. They've got, they the, started- mass. They've got the name and it's not – it was never Amazon coming in and going, hey, all you already existing online retailers, let me sell your products. It no. was Amazon came on with their product. And it was just books. What they were selling. Yeah. They got their name and they then developed their marketplace to allow other online shoppers to take other on, you know, retailers to take advantage of Amazon's name and Amazon's position at the forefront of online retailing to bring themselves in. And so Amazon created their Amazon marketplace where you can buy via Amazon from places that aren't Amazon. So, so how, how does the saying go, slow and steady wins the race? Slow and steady wins think, the race. I think there's a lesson in there somewhere, isn't there? There really is. Alrighty, and that concludes our show for this week. Been a, it's been a great, there's been some good stories this week. There's been some stories to get our teeth into. Oh yeah, that's for sure. So look, thank you very much for joining us for episode 30 of the Boys of Tech. Brett, thank you once again for hosting this with me. It's been a real hoot. It has. And we'll see you all again next week for episode 31. And until then, take care. Goodbye. See you then.